So if you will, give your attention to God's perfect word in Esther chapter 6. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told, <clears throat> had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor, distinction has been stowed on Mordecai for this. The king's young men who attended him said nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows they had prepared for him. The king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you've said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the streets, through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. That completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We're excited. We've been going through some tough parts, but we're excited to get to here. Lord, please help us understand how you intend to use this in our lives. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have a friend who can finish your sentences. My, my kids think that my wife and I like can read each other's minds. It's not actually true, but we're just, we're pretty predictable. We've known each other a really long time and we generally have an idea of what the other person is thinking. <clears throat> kids, do you think your kids, are, your parents are predictable? Like, do you have an idea in any given situation how your parents are probably going to respond? Oh, they're going to get angry. Oh, they'll, they'll probably say yes. What do you think? You think they're pretty predictable? What about God? Is God predictable? Can you pretty well guess in any given situation how God is going to respond? No, you can't. I mean, th this is not expected. And there's lots of really unexpected things in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever been watching a movie and it comes to that moment, you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Like just out of nowhere, there's this plot twist to a hard left or hard right. Well, that's what we have. I, mean, I guarantee Mordecai did not see chapter six coming. 
Well, let's dive into this exciting story. All right, we're going to divide into two parts. Again, this is on page seven. First, the height of irony. And then secondly, the God of reversals. The height of irony. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone that uh, does wine tasting. They'll talk about the wine. I mean, you think they're talking about an, another world. Like they, you know, they smell it and they taste it. And they're like, oh, it, it, uh, it has earthy tones and some, some blackberry and chocolate and, uh, some, and some maybe uh, some oak. And you're like, all that of a sip of wine? So this morning, we're going to do that with this passage. We're just going to savor because it's really fun. There's a lot of irony in this passage. So we're going to do it together. Okay, so it's important to remember, I hit it on my summary, where the last chapter ended. The last chapter ended with Haman so angry that his, his wife and his friend said, here, just go get, go to the king and ask him to execute Mordecai, and then you can go with joy to the feast tomorrow night. The chances of success were like 100%, right? The king has already told him you can annihilate a whole race. He's definitely going to say yes to killing off one guy, right? So it's really, really dark. Well, so then remember, what did he do? His wife said, why don't you build a gallows? So during the night, I mean, he he wastes no time. During the night, he has servants build this 75 foot high gallows, okay? Simultaneous to that, what's happening? Look at verse one. So while this gallows is being built, the king couldn't sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. If you think of the large number of things that the king could have entertained himself with in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep, he happened to choose having his history read to him. Okay? So of all the possible, so we're going to look this morning at um, probability. If you've ever studied that in school. Okay, so here's the set of possible things he could do. He chose this one. But of that set, of that, that little piece, look at verse two and three. So they open up the scroll, they start reading, and it was found written about Mordecai. Well, isn't that a coincidence that he had told about these two guys, the two eunuchs, they guarded the threshold, they sought to lay hands on the king, and then the king hasn't fallen asleep yet. Okay, so of all the things that could have been read about the king, it happened to be about Mordecai, and it happened to be the king wasn't asleep yet. And, he, and then he said, hey, wait a second, what do we do for that guy? Okay, then it happened to be the guys in the room knew the answer. I mean, they could have said, I don't know. Let's just keep reading. Go back to sleep, king. Right? But they knew. They said, no, nothing's been done. Okay? So the probability of this is very, very, very small. I don't know if you've ever, you see in Hollywood, you can do this. This doesn't surprise you because you watch movies all the time. They have all the actors and the plot lines all come together. You can only do that if you're the director. You literally tell everyone where to stand and what to say. This is history, isn't it? But with, so with God, God can do that, right? God is sovereign. So we, we shouldn't forget this is real history. Okay, verse four. So he says, this is so funny. This guy is such a terrible leader. We've been seeing this, haven't we? The king can't even decide how to honor a guy. He says, and the king said, who's in the court? He needs someone to tell him what to do for Mordecai. Now Haman had just entered. What are the chances that Haman showed up right as this was happening? So he enters the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows. Well, that's interesting. This is going to be quite an interesting conversation, isn't it? They're both there about Mordecai for very different reasons. 
I mean, are they going to be like, no, you go first. No, you go first. I mean, guess what the king, king always goes first, right? All right, so what happens? Look at verse five and six. The young man said, hey, Haman's there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? What's interesting here is he left off the guy's name, right? This is, again, it is just the irony just keeps getting. So of course, Haman's so prideful. What is Haman? The very first thing Haman thinks of is himself. Yep. And he's dreaming. What would I like? You remember how to Esther, this was a few weeks ago, the king said, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. Haman's like, this is my chance. This is my blank check. So he's like, what would I want more than anything else? And so this is what he wants. Look at verse seven. And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let, okay, so let's count with our fingers, kids, how many things he asked for. Let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, not just any robes, and a horse that the king has ridden, and then on his head put a royal crown, and then let the robes, all this stuff, be given to a guy, one of your most noble guys, and then make him come and dress that man and walk him around the streets like he's a servant. I mean, you see that he's, he's putting down someone. I want a top guy to be put low so that then it just makes me even more exalted. You remember last week? What did we diagnose um, Haman's problem to be? Do you remember? We talked about how he went from like the height of joy because of the feast, and then he's in like the pit of darkness because one guy won't bow to him. Do you remember what was his problem? Do you remember? He loved the approval of people, right? He just worshiped. He just loved it. He's craved having. So this is his dream. I mean, he's already like salivating, like, oh, this is going to be great. Like everyone's going to turn and just look at me. But wait a second. I mean, what does he ask for? This is actually a little bit creepy if you think about it. He wants to wear the king's clothes. He wants to ride the king's horse. And he wants to have the king's crown on his head. Haman, are you maybe just a little envious of your boss's job? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He just loves people's approval. I mean, maybe for a moment he forgot why he was there. Or maybe he hasn't. Maybe he's thinking, all right, I'll wait till the king's finished. And then I'm going to say, oh, by the way, before I have my little victory lap, would it be all right if, I, if I, we need to execute this guy? He doesn't obey the king's law. And, and then so we'll, we'll, this is going to be great. He'll get to kill Mordecai, get a victory lap, and then go to the feast. This is going to be the best day of his life. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? Verse 10, here it is. This is beautiful. Look at verse 10. So right as, you know, Haman is drooling about his best day of his life. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you've said, and do so to Mordecai. I mean, can you imagine just the shock? Like that word came out of his mouth. I mean, he probably was having like this out-of-body experience, right? Like, did he just say Mordecai? No, no, I'm the one to hear from about Mordecai. It's crazy. I mean, he's probably like full of like dread and bewilderment and fury. Because remember last chapter, right? He went from like the height of joy from the feast to being so discouraged. This is like a hundred times worse, right? He was just dreaming about his dream day. And then this is now going to be a nightmare. This is his worst nightmare. I mean, what can Haman say? I mean, can Haman be like, sure, I'm going to walk him around. But is it okay after I walk him around if I execute him on the 75 foot gallows I have waiting in my house for him? 
I mean, he's stuck. I mean, you can't even, he can't let on. I mean, so he's trying to hold a straight face because you're in front of the king, right? You can't even be sad in front of the king. You can't mourn in front of him. I mean, he is stuck. Oh, look at it. It's even more detailed. So verse 10, kids, have your parents ever asked you to do something and they come back and you're still sitting on your floor and they're like, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, right now you want me to do it? Yes, right now. Would you go do the dish, right? Right, that you have to say like the when, right? His parents, you can't just say, please do this because then the kid just sits there, right? So the king says, hurry. Okay, so he can't delay. Like he can't be like, I'll do it next week after I execute the guy. Hurry. But what else? He says, leave out nothing that you've mentioned. Sorry, kids, back to you. Have your parents ever asked you to clean your room? And they come back in and they say, scold you and say, what are those dirty clothes sitting on the floor? And you're like, oh, you meant I had to clean it? I just thought I had to clean my toys. What about hanging up your laundry? Right? You, you just, you, unless they give you detailed instructions. I want you to clean up your toys and you're right. So what does he say? Leave out nothing. I mean, Haman had to do it right away and he had to do every last detail of everything he said. He's stuck for sure, isn't he? Wait a second. He said Mordecai the Jew, didn't he? Does he not realize he just signed an edict to annihilate the Jews? This is kind of ironic. He just said, go honor. I mean, he knows that Mordecai is a Jew because he says it. And there's an edict that has his seal on it. Here's the key. Chapter 3, verse 10. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king never even saw the edict. I mean, best we can tell. Not a good leader. This is crazy. So the whole edict was because of Mordecai. And so now Mordecai is the one being honored by the king. By Haman, no less. The irony just keep pile, keeps piling up. Oh, but look at this verse. Here, I want to read you verse 11. So Haman took the robes and the horse... And he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Oh, well, that was nice. Now, there's something about when you read the Bible. If this was a novel, that would have been like a whole chapter. <laughs> like the nuances of like, what were they thinking and the looks on their face and when they met eyes and, right? When that, you'd write a whole chapter on that. Like you get a lot of good, good descriptive words out of that one. The Bible normally underplays things. It does. In one verse, like there was a lot happened, didn't it? And it just kind of matter-of-factly says it. So when you read your Bible, particularly narratives, you have to slow down and just think through like, wait a second. Did it just say that Haman actually put those clothes on Mordecai? I mean, can you imagine that moment? I mean, here you are, Mordecai. I mean, you know there's a death sentence. You know that like Esther's preparing a feast and all of a sudden Haman walks in. You're like, this is going to be great. He walks over to you. I mean, hey, Mordecai didn't know anything that happened. He didn't know about the dream. He didn't know about the conversation, any of that, right? Haman comes over to him and starts like putting the king's clothes on him. This is going to be kind of weird. And he's like, get on the horse. And he starts walking around the street saying, thus shall be done. And Mordecai's like, what is going on here? Right? Wouldn't that be surreal for him too? And so you just have to slow down a little bit and like think like, this is crazy. This moment, this is in one verse, verse 11. This is crazy. It's true. 
I mean, simultaneous to all this going on, Esther's over there preparing a feast. It's crazy. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 16, he said, so the last shall be first and the first last. Pretty good example of that, huh? Last shall be first, the first shall be last. Look at verse 12. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. I bet he did. Again, slightly underplayed, but we start to get some hint of how Haman's feeling. He's mourning and with his head covered. Oh, and then look at verse 13. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh. You remember, this is less than 24 hours before we had this previous conversation. Okay, so now what are, the, what are you going to say this time, wifey? <clears throat> wife Zeresh said to him and his wise men, if Mordecai, be, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. They seriously changed their tune, didn't they? Why? Why is that? What happened? The key there is, is that he said, or the wife and the friend said, Mordecai, who is of the Jewish people. It's not just saying that, hey, you picked a fight with Mordecai and you're, and you're in trouble. I mean, in a sense, she's saying like, honey, you're toast. You're done for. How's that for being a supportive wife? But she, what she realizes is she's saying of the Jewish people. What she is acknowledging, and this happens in the Bible, pagans will acknowledge the power of God. She's saying, you have no chance. You've picked a fight with the God of Israel. And once again, he's showing he's, this isn't going to work, right? They thought they had him trapped. They didn't at all. So again, Haman picked a fight with the wrong guy. But it wasn't with Mordecai. And that brings us to our second point. The God of reversals. He had picked a fight with a living God. Bad idea. Our God is the God of great reversals. And there's tons of examples in Scripture. I'm going to give you just a few, but there's a lot of them. If you aren't familiar with these stories, it's okay. You can look them up. They're really fun. So there's this guy who's Pharaoh of Egypt. Really powerful. He's got all the Jews as slaves, Moses comes in representing God and says, hey, let him go. He says, uh-uh. He says, all right, you asked for it. God unleashes craziness on him, right? There's all these plagues that are just crushing the nation, right? This is kind of a reversal. I mean, so much so that finally he says, get him out of here, take him, right? Well, then it happens again. They go over to the Red Sea. They're pinned between Pharaoh's um, chariots, right? So this is not looking good. God opens the Red Sea, they go through, all the chariots go in, and then what happens? Kids, you know what happens? What happens to all those chariots? Right? The waters come back over them. Huge reversal. I mean, he literally crushes Egypt. I mean, so much so that their commerce, everything, their land, has just been decimated, and then the army gets decimated by the Red Sea. That would be called a reversal, wouldn't it? David and Goliath. Little guy, big giant. Big giant, falls. Reversal. Daniel in the lion's den. Man gets thrown to hungry lions. All the lions close their mouths. He gets out and all the bad guys who got him there get thrown in. The lions wake up and they eat him. <laughs> that would be called a reversal, wouldn't it? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They get thrown in a fiery furnace. 
They're like in the flames. And what happens? Nothing. They're just standing there among the flames. And then a fourth man, like the Son of Man, appears with them. Wouldn't you call that a reversal? I mean, that's just a few. There's tons of examples like that. It's really cool, isn't it? You see, our God is not like the kings of our earth, the despots and the emperors, right? They show their power with lines and lines of soldiers and tanks and missiles, right? They show off their strength. Our God's not like that. How does God show his strength in this passage? What do we learn about God in this passage? What do we learn about God in this passage? Think about it for a moment. He had orchestrated. I mean, have you kids, have you ever played dominoes? You know, where you set them all up, you all line them all up, you knock one over, what happens? Right? God has done this, hasn't he? He's lined everyone up at just the right place, at just the right time. And now he's hit the first one. It's going to be exciting. It's going to happen fast. It's so neat. And also the speed at which it's happening. Remember, the night before, things looked terrible. By mid-morning, I mean, that Haman was absolutely convinced, that the reader would have been convinced that Mordecai is toast. He's done for, right? At the hands of Haman, he will be executed. By the next morning, at the hands of Haman, he's being marched around the city praised. Like, that's kind of fast. God can flip things just as fast as that. In one night, he does this. It's staggering. I mean, there's some passages that just preach themselves. Like, I don't have to, like, be elaborate and, like, oh, you, you need to trust God can actually reverse things. Like, just ask Mordecai. Right? This passage is so clear. God, no matter how dark your circumstances are, God can turn them around literally in one night. He's done it over and over and over again through Scripture. This is part of the reason why God gave us stories. Right? He could have just, this could have just been a passage that tells you, you need to trust God. God can reverse anything. <laughs> it's true. But we have story after story after story through thousands of years of world history where God was faithful to his people. One of my favorite words in the Old Testament is steadfast love. I know in English it's two words. In Hebrew it's one word. In Hebrew it's one word. Steadfast love. It talks about God's covenant faithfulness. It's that, and the Psalms do this over and over. When you read the Psalms, look for that word. Let it stand out to you. Steadfast love. It, it was really important to David. He said, God, I know. Things are not looking good for me. David, or Saul is trying to kill me. But I know your steadfast love will never fail. Your steadfast love will never fail. You need to have that as you read. This is one great use of the Psalms that you can to remind yourself when you're in dark times, whether it's sickness, whether it's conflict, whether it's divorce, whether it's kids that have turned from the faith, whether it's all kinds of things, right, that plague our lives. God can turn any of them around. Kids, you remember how predictable your parents are? God, when God's involved, you just never know what's going to happen. You just never know what's going to happen. At any moment, God can turn it around. I love that about God. <clears throat> what do you think the greatest reversal? So I gave you some examples, you know, and I mean, there's plenty of New Testament ones too, right? So like Peter's in, in prison, right? And the angels like break him free, knock open the gates. That was a pretty cool one. That was a fast reversal. What do you think the greatest one is? Like that, that was a lot. There's a bunch more. What's the coolest one? What's your favorite? 
What about Christ? So the Messiah comes to bring his kingdom. And then he gets captured, tortured, and executed. And because Mordecai was just the threat of execution, Jesus actually was hung on a tree. I mean, the disciples were not like, oh, but it's okay. I mean, they were terrified. They all ran away, scared. They were hiding in the upper room. We're about to celebrate this in a couple weeks, right? Good Friday and Easter. What happened on Easter? He came back. I mean, you could not get a bigger reversal from a dead man coming back to life. But it wasn't just that, was it? It wasn't just a dead guy coming back to life. It was that on that cross, he was receiving the wrath for every foolish thing I've ever done. And you, if you believe in him. Isn't that cool? And then he defeated that, right? He he absorbed the wrath, he paid it, and then he came back to life. And so also we too. If we believe in him, if we put our lot in with Christ, we too will come back to life. I mean, there can't be a bigger reversal, can there? And so as we delight in this chapter and just see how cool it is that God reversed this situation with Mordecai and Esther, it helps us appreciate Easter all the more. That God did something so much cooler than that in Jesus. I mean, the problem is familiarity breeds what? You can say the word. Yep. Familiarity breeds contempt. Right? That we, we get so used to things that it's like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah, it's Easter, right? Some Easter baskets. We love Easter baskets. We give them away all the time. But it was actually the greatest reversal of all of time. And we actually, you know, you have no part in this, right? This didn't really affect you. You aren't in Persia. You aren't in exile. With Jesus' reversal, it actually is about you. He was on that cross because of how you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how we all, all the things we've done, right? That's why he was on that cross. That story is about us. Unlike all the others. It's like watching your wedding video. My kids love watching our wedding thing. That one is actually very applicable to them, (laughs) right? They're a part of that. They came from that. So it is Easter. This is actually a story that involves you. God loves coming through for his children. Don't you, if you're a father or mother, don't you love coming through for your children? I mean, isn't there nothing better than like a kid running and jumping your arm and saying, Mom, you remembered. Dad, you didn't forget. God is the same way. God loves to come through for his children. He always has and he always will. You know what else is cool? You know, um, yeah, who's absent? What character did we not read about in this chapter? I'll give you a, a hint. The book's named after her. Esther wasn't anywhere in this. So you remember what Mordecai said to her? He said, if you don't do this, God will bring help from another place. He's done that with a sleepless night, a scroll, some servants, and Haman's pride, right? He delivered her father, her adoptive father, his life by all these circumstances. See, God is using, he's working through, he's still working. I mean, that feast is still being made. They're cooking it right now. Right? And then we'll get to hear about that next week. It's really exciting. I want to make one other point of application. Don't make Haman's mistake. Here's what I mean. Don't pick the wrong team. Kids, have you ever been playing a pickup game of sports, playing with a bunch of other guys or girls, and you realize real quick that you picked the wrong team? Like there's someone on the other team that probably should be pro. Like they're just schooling your team. Right? And you're like, where's the slaughter rule when I need it? Like this ain't fun anymore. 
Have you ever, I don't know, that's experience has happened to me when I was a kid. Or when you're like, I really wish I'd picked that guy's team. It is the same with Jesus. There are people that dabble with Christianity. There are people that even attend church and they're like, well, I won't pick any team. I don't want to be like too religious or really put my lot in too much. Everyone is on a team. Everyone is on a team. Kids, this includes you. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. If you're not for me, you're against me. We studied Philippians before this book. And we find this, these verses. It said that God has exalted Christ and bestowed him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality is, is that every knee will bow. You know, Haman didn't pay attention last week. We gave him some good biblical counseling. He didn't listen. Things are going downhill fast, aren't they? His world is falling apart. Right? The last verse of this chapter says that while they were still talking to him, the king's eunuch arrived and hurried to take Haman to the feast. You're in big trouble, Haman. It's going to happen all real quick, right? He's already had to lead him around and the rest is going to unfold. Every knee will bow. And so basically your choice is either you bend the knee now or you bend the knee on judgment day. And this kid, this includes you, just because your parents are Christians, you actually have to bend the knee to Christ. You actually have to say, Christ, I need you. I can't do this by myself. It would break my heart if at the end of this story, when all, the, when all, the, when all it's said and done, that someone sat in our church and listened to me week after week, and they managed to somehow never bend their knee to Christ. Like they managed to, yeah, they, they kind of, I mean, it's like, I mean, just because you're in the garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you come to church, it does not make you a Christian. There are lots of people in churches that aren't Christians. And they're very surprised in the end. Do not be surprised. In conclusion, wasn't it fun today seeing how God lined up all those dominoes? He lined up a lot, didn't he? The same night that the gallows was built, <clears throat> that the king couldn't sleep. And he had the, the, his story read to him. And it happened to be the part about Mordecai. And he asked. And they knew that, it, that he, nothing had been done for him. And Haman arrived just at the right time. And then he was so prideful that he came with this elaborate thing that he would then have to do to Mordecai. That was cool, wasn't it? God lined all that up. Please trust the Lord. The name of our church is Hope. You can have hope no matter how dark it gets because God is the God of great reversals. Let's pray. Father, thank you that I didn't have to exaggerate anything. I mean, if anything, I underplayed you. You're way better than I can even explain to them. I love that, God. God, thank you that you have always been reversing things Lord, there's things you've reversed in my life and I'm so grateful for. There's things I wish you would still do. And Lord, it gives us hope. Lord, it gives all of us hope that there is never a situation too dark for you to turn around. Lord, I pray that you would give them that hope, that faith, that courage. God, thank you that we serve a God who is absolutely sovereign over every domino in the whole world. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.